Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Well, we're going through a, a process here at the church, for those of you that are visiting, of 10 messages uh, that are sort of the foundational messages of understanding how we function as a church. And the one for this week is one of the more challenging uh, for me. Uh, it has to do with how we handle our resources and how we handle our uh, time, our energies. And the reason it's challenging is I get a lot of flack in my life as a leader, and there are a lot of accusations that have come against me. And one of the wisest things you can do is never deal with money. If you talk about money, then you're usually associated with all the guys who make that the entirety of their ministry, and they're always after someone's wallet. And so I would have a tendency, and I would prefer never to talk about it. And so here it is in the lineup, and uh, everyone that's been around me, the the pastoral staff and the executive staff at Ellerslie know that I've been sort of going, oh, great. And we have, why, how'd that one get in the 10? Uh, and yet, in this week, in preparing this particular message, I have been so warmly blessed by the Spirit of God, so richly encouraged that though this be more on the awkward side for me personally, I honestly don't think there's going to be any awkwardness in, in this particular message. This message isn't about money. It's about us. And it's about that which has been entrusted to us and how we live with that which has been entrusted to us. And whether or not you ever give a dime in this environment isn't the point of this message, which gives me great freedom to share it with you. Because my desire in having a relationship with you isn't to stick you in my downline. If any of you have ever been a part of Amway, you understand what I mean by that. Where your relationship with people can easily begin to be manipulative to say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and why don't you just sign right here and we can get you the car of your dreams. And in a church environment, disingenuous relationship is extremely dangerous. We need to be authentic without gaining anything, but even being willing to suffer and gain loss to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why historically throughout the ages, when you talk about the gospel, it comes without price and you give it freely. We do not want to charge for the pew, in other words. We want to give the gospel freely, and yet in the midst of the church of Jesus Christ is this very real thing that is our resource, our time, our energies, our pocketbook. How are we to use it? <clears throat> so, generosity, a study in cheerful living. See, what you're expecting it to say is a study in cheerful giving. I know what you were thinking. And yet, I purposely said, a, a study in cheerful living. Doesn't that sound better? See, cheerful giving is one of those things that touches us and makes us very uncomfortable. It's like, oh, no, not that again. It's hard to give our strength away. Many of us live with what we could call a poverty mentality. We live in a very wealthy 
nation. We live in a, even a, a more affluent community. And yet we struggle with a poverty mentality in the sense that we have a tendency to cling. If you take a inner city child that has, been, that has suffered from different forms of hunger uh, throughout their life and, and having need constantly, if you set out a buffet table in front of them, oftentimes they grab and they stick in their pockets. And they'll stick the funniest things in their pockets. Jello, uh, you know, cake, things that don't belong in pockets. Why? Because they're afraid they'll never get again. A Christian ought never to suffer from the poverty mentality, even if they have nothing in their bank account, because we always do have access to the king's resources. We technically are never without, even though our bank account doesn't show that we have it. We live differently than the world. We're Christians. We have access to what we can call the heavenly aquifer. You might see only a puddle on the surface, And yes, you wish it was Lake Michigan, but you only have a puddle, and it's just enough to make it through that day. And yet that puddle is attached to an aquifer, an ocean beneath the surface known as God's resources. And when you trust him with your puddle and you say, thank you, and you dip into that puddle to deal with your daily needs, your daily bread, you will find that that puddle, bloop, will fill up again. And you will have precisely that which you need for life. A study in cheerful living. Here's our key scripture for the day. But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Let's take a peek at the bottom portion of this scripture beneath the big bold spot. This is a scripture that a lot of people quote. Let me say it for you. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. I love that scripture. And yet that scripture is a part of a context. And it's the context that we don't appreciate. And so to understand this scripture that all grace is made available to us, you have everything you could ever need for any challenge you will ever face. We need to notate the context for that. The six principles of kingdom giving. So this is the context, and we can call it the six principles of kingdom giving. One, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Number two, if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. So if you're stingy, you receive a stingy amount of grace. It's just how the kingdom works. In other words, it's not God conspiring to say, oh, I'm going to be stingy with you. It's that you have only opened up the faucet a little bit. So if you open up sparingly, only a sparing amount gets through. If you open it up all the way, guess what? A big amount comes through. It's just the principle of the kingdom. Give as you purpose in your heart to give. This is just a principle of the kingdom. So when you determine what you're going to give, give it. Many of us understand how this works. You determine in your heart what you're going to give and what happens in the natural realm. Something surprises you, which would cause you to hesitate to give what you already determined in your heart to give. And as a result, you pull back and say, well, I can't give it this go around. And as a result, you are actually affecting your own life, because God is saying, look, I want this grace to abound to you, 
But when you determine in your heart, just know, I know your circumstances. Give. Keep moving forward. Give bountifully. Don't give sparingly. Do not give reluctantly. Boy, that's a, that's a hard one to have in the mix. I mean, oh, come on, God. Do you need to deal with my attitude in it? Because couldn't you just say, give as you determined, and then we can begrudgingly go, oh, great, and give it. Because then most of us would at least pass the test. Have you ever noticed that you know what you ought to give oftentimes, but it takes you two months to give it? That's, I guess, what we could call giving reluctantly. And how about this one? Do not give because someone is twisting your arm. Now, that isn't the exact quote of what it said in Scripture, but that's the concept of being, giving out of necessity. In other words, I have to give it, otherwise I'm either making someone mad or I'm looking really bad in front of people. Someone's twisting your arm. Something in the room is causing you to give. It's like, dig deeper. Come on, buddy. You have more in there. And some people have gone to churches like that. They literally will sit there with the basket hanging out in front of you saying, I know there's more in that pocket of yours. That's not how we should give, and yet that's a, that's a hard situation. Here, that's actually part of the kingdom pattern. Don't give because of that. You see, God is giving us a pattern. Look at this. You give cheerfully. That's how you give. If you're not giving cheerfully, don't give it. That's not how you give. You give cheerfully. That's easier said than done, isn't it? How do you just give cheerfully? The two principles of grace. Grace works in conjunction with need. So if we're talking about grace, one of our key sermons in this 10-part series was on the issue of grace. It was called the power to do it. Grace is more than just a hug. It is the power enabling strength to carry out the impossible commission that we've received here on this earth. But there's two principles of receiving this grace. Grace works in a very specific pattern. Now remember this scripture that we were referring to. You see, God desires to give us grace. He desires to give us everything we need to thrive and to flourish in this life. However, there's six principles of how we receive it. And it seems to be somehow related to how we handle that valve. If we open up that valve in our life and allow our strength, our energies, our resources to flow outward and not just get bottled up, then we find that God's grace flows bountifully through our life, into our life and through our life. Grace is associated with this principle that we are talking about. So this is how grace works. If you don't have need in your life, well, then you don't get grace in your life. Ah, that sort of stinks. Couldn't I have a lot of grace and not have any need? We do not like having need. I mean, if any of us could just vote on a, the type of life we would want, I, I have a hunch that a high percentage of us, if we were doing it in secret, would say, you know, a scale of one to ten. Ten meaning desperate, you know, close to despair, empty bank account, ready to die, or, you know, one being full of substance. Did I say 10 was dying? Yeah. Okay. So one is full of substance, barns filled over to overflowing with dollar bills. Which one are we going to choose? Well, we're, we probably wouldn't pick 10. We'd be like, to feel spiritual, we'd pick five. <laughs> and yet, if you have a 10 life, if you have a life that is so dependent upon God, did you know that you have a 10 amount of grace? You see, the degree that you receive challenge And weakness and dependence is the degree to which you receive grace. If you have a one life, which is most of us here in America, we have a one grace. The power of God will be evidenced in our life to a one degree. Do we see the power of God? We do. 
We do. Even in America, there is an evidence and a show of power in our lives, but it's, it's small. But in other countries, the persecuted church sees the power of God in a whole different way. They have need, and it's great need. And as a result, they see great grace. Big need means big grace. Now, I, I realize that most of us don't like this pattern, and yet I'm just giving it to you straight. This is what Scripture enunciates. This is how we receive that abundance of heaven. You see, God resists the, power, the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Well, the humble are those that know their need. And so when you allow need to come into your life, well, you receive great grace in your life. But those that are proud, what are the proud? Well, they, they don't like to have need. I don't have need. I, I grew up in a certain mentality towards finances. And to be honest, I, I have a tendency to gravitate towards this mentality in finances. You don't talk about them. And you never, even if you have need, show it. You would never acknowledge it, never allow anyone to see it. And it's a form of pride. Now, to be honest, that's part of the way the Ludi clan would express it is that's how we show respect and honor to other people because we don't want to have our burdens be other people's burdens. So even if we had need, we wouldn't let you know. I mean, you just don't do that. And part of that is good. It's the way George Mueller handled his finances. He didn't say, oh, I have need people. You see, he just lived his life, but he took his need to God. But to have need and to accept the fact that you have need is to acknowledge weakness. And I want you, whether or not you ever talk about your need to others, I want you to talk about it to God. And I want you to humbly lay your life before God and say, God, I I don't have it in my own pockets to live this life. Whether financially, whether emotionally, whether psychologically, or first and foremost, spiritually, I do not have the oomph to be able to pull this off. And God gives grace to you. You see, when you have need, when you are weak before God, then he can be strong for you. When you are strong before God, going, yeah, thanks, God, uh, but I don't really need that. I know other people do, but I don't really need the cross. I, I, I think you need me. We, many of us actually have this notion that God's needing some resources. So he's like, hey, could I have you? And we're like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll step in for you, God. What do you need? No, no, God's saying, uh, what do you need? You're the one, us, we're the ones that have the need. Okay, uh, we did have the six principles of kingdom giving. Strike that, seven. So this is important. I'm going to introduce you to the seventh principle of kingdom giving. So here's our list. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. Give as you purpose in your heart to give. Do not give reluctantly. Do not give because someone is twisting your arm. Give cheerfully. Ready? Here it comes. This heavenly giving opens up the channel through which grace, through which grace, back into the giver's life. Yeah, uh, comes back into the giver's life. I'm not exactly sure here. This heavenly giving opens up the channel through which grace comes back into the giver's life. Is that what your notes say? Flows. Flows back. There you go. Yeah, that, that makes sense. All right, so when you open up this giving... And when you give cheerfully in agreement with God, then this is what causes the grace to increase in your life. Now, it's a funny thought because most of us are thinking about finances as we do this. And just to be honest, finances is where it most, most of the time hurts. For instance, if I were to say, would you be willing to give up some of your time today? Or would you be willing more readily to give up your resources, your financial resources today? Which one are we more readily to give? I think most of us probably would say, time. Time. In a heartbeat. 
because we don't trust that God is going to supply our finances. Those are hard fought. Time, you know, I can spend some of that. And yet, all of our life is based on the same principle. However you choose to give, it's not just resource or money. It's you. It's the life you have, the time you have, the energies you have, the gifts you have. You have something that God is pouring into you. It's called grace. And he says, let it out. Let it flow. And when you let it flow, guess what? You get more. And this is the kingdom principle. When you do the first six, you get more of that grace by which you need to live. We mustn't fear need. Most of us are afraid of being in a needy place. And if any of you have ever been in a needy place and you've somehow gotten out of that needy place, you don't want to go back. You're afraid to go back. Oh God, don't let me ever go back to that place. And yet, here's what I want to tell you. That place is an opportunity. It is a privileged position. The place of need is not something to fear. The place of need is the stage upon which God demonstrates his faithfulness. I I know this very intimately. My life is closely acquainted with need. And I experience it a lot. And I have found that though I tend to still complain the next time the need shows up, that when I look back through my life, those are the moments I would brag about my God. When did I see my God? When did I learn to trust him more? Through my situations of need. So Eric, why do you keep complaining about these things? Why don't you start rejoicing when they come along? That's a good question. Could you imagine if the next time you have need in your life, you go, yeah, all right. I get to see the faithfulness of God. You know he's going to come through, don't you? He's not going to abandon you this time. Why do we get the thought, who's whispering in your ear? Oh, this time's different. This time he will fail you. Uh, God is, which means he never changes. He said, I am that I am, which means he was, he is, and he always will be. So when you stick the I am that I am next to the word provider, which he did, he said, he is Jehovah Jireh, or I am that provides, which means he was the one that provides, he is the one that provides, and he always will be. He'll never change. So if he's been faithful to you thus far, guess what? He can't change. He will continue to be faithful moving forward. As a Christian, there is actually no reasonable, logical reason why we would ever fear need. In fact, need is the great opportunity for the Christian to grow stronger. We should get excited about it. See, I know I'm speaking to a whole bunch of people that think just like me, I hate need. You see, that's the human emotion. That's the human psychology associated with Dump it overboard. Let's start thinking and living like Christians. Christians are not afraid of need. The rest of the world can be. The rest of the world, it says, the heathens seek after what they will wear, what they'll be clothed in, what they will eat. But I tell you, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You do not behave like the heathen. You behave like a Christian. God knows your need before you even realized your need. He is not taken off guard when you get that little letter in the mail which declares a new need, a new bill you can't pay. He's not caught off guard like, oh no, I didn't see that coming. And you don't have the money for it. (gasps) 
As I always like to say, if you see God panic about your need, it's okay to panic. (laughs) But if you look heavenward and God seems perfectly fine and in control, well then why in the world would you give one moment to panic? Why don't we study his face in the midst of trial? You know, the kings of the earth are taking their stand against him, conspiring to bring him down, and it says the one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. What do you think God's doing towards your measly little need? He's holding it in derision. He is laughing at it, saying, oh, perfect. I got my saints right where I want them. You see, if we would learn to cherish these things instead of fight them, we would see the faithfulness of our God in a beautiful way. Need is the means by which grace flows abundantly into our lives. Giving is central to the gospel life. If you remove the giving aspect or the outflow part of our being, our Christianity begins to dry up, which is why in a church body we need to learn how to turn on the spigot and allow our resource to flow outward because that's how the grace of God will begin to flow through the church. If you have $10 you don't have the need for when it comes to buying your saline solution that night. I just have a story in my past where I needed money to buy saline solution, so that's the illustration that came into my mind. And if you have contacts, you know that if you don't have saline solution, all goes dark. <laughs> and I didn't have any money. I was out. And, but if you have the $10, guess what? There's no need to pray. You just go down to the local drugstore, buy yourself some saline solution. But what if on the way to the drugstore, someone needs $10? To give up that $10 is tantamount to stupidity because now you wouldn't have what you need. But what have you done? When you see a need and you allow God to take your precious 10 and to spend it in the way that you know the Spirit of God is initiating, you have now created or allowed the Spirit of God to create a need in your life that can only be filled by Him. So keep walking, keep going. He knows you need that saline solution before you even ask, before it even comes out of your mouth. Hey, God, we got a problem here. You see, I just gave up my last $10, and I still need saline solution. You see, these contacts get sort of dry. And if I don't have them, then I can't see. Oh, no, he knew it. And so how he chooses to answer this is up to him. But boy, is he creative. And he's very, very good at doing it. When you give, when you open the spigot and allow your $10 out, what comes down the pipeline? Oh, come on, a lot more than 10. You see, God always gives abundantly more than you let out. You see, when you allow your life to flow, God expands your ability to receive. And he allows more and more resource of his strength, of his grace, of his power to flow through your life. If you hold on to it, you don't get that privilege. So we have some illustrations of the fact that giving is a part of the gospel life. Uh, The spikenard, Mary of Bethany. Part of this illustration is what Jesus himself describes as the gospel. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. What did she do? She gave. She gave that which she put her trust in, that which was her confidence. That spikenard is worth a year's wages. And by the way, if any of us worked for an entire year and stored up that money and put it in a bottle, it would be really hard just to dump it out. But she dumped it out on Jesus. And that's exactly what he asks us to. He asks us to be willing to give up that which we would have security in and pour it out on him. 
giving up all earthly treasure. Just another Jesus story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in the field, the which when a man has found, he hides and for the joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This man is willing to open up the spigot and give everything he has to do what? So that he could gain the grace of heaven. He gives up all, and what does he gain? He gains the treasure. You see, in this story, it sounds like a real estate transaction, but in the kingdom of heaven, it's we give up all in order to gain that which can only come from heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, up this pipeline is a great deal of grace. It's in the heavenly realms. It's available for us. And God says, could you open up the spigot in your life and let out that which is holding up this whole process? I'd like to give this to you, but I need you to be a cheerful giver. I need you to open up that spigot and let out all that stuff so I can bring it in. See, he wants to bring it in by the truckloads, but we're stopping it up because we're afraid. We're afraid to be giving people. So one of the illustrations is the old glass full of dirty water. God has living water and he's ready to keep filling up our cup, but what do we do? We hold on to our little water and as a result, there's no room for him to pour it in. What do we need to do? We need to pour out our water so that he can fill it up. And then what do we need to do? If you want to keep getting water, what do you do? Keep pouring it out. It's just, that's why a pipeline's a better illustration for it. God has so much he wants to give us. He wants to give us the full inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. But we are not cheerful givers. We're impoverished hoarders. We are sticking jello in our pockets trying to hold on to it. But as long as it stays there, it messes up the outfit. There's nothing worse than jello in the pockets. And so we need to allow this resource to flow through us. Give up self-pursuit. This is another story that you'll probably recognize. And seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Neither be ye doubtful of mind. What a statement. Neither be you doubtful of mind. Are you questioning God's ability to provide for you? Do not seek these things. Were you questioning? Were you actually thinking that God would fail you? Oh, come on, you of little faith. Don't you know who we're talking about here? We're talking about God. See, let me give you a common tactic of the enemy. He wants to convince you that God's faithfulness in your life hinges upon your perfection. So if any of you have misspent a dime, the enemy will hold that over you when you come to God to ask for resource. Well, do you think God's going to give you that? Look how you spent the last dime he gave you. If any of you have ever made a bad financial decision, I wonder if that's ever happened in this room then the enemy will hold that over you and say, you need to correct that. Otherwise, God can't fix this problem. You are the one that needs to do it. Here's the key to the gospel. Your access under the throne room of grace is not based on your perfect work. Your access under the throne room of grace is based on his perfect work. That is your merit of entry. That's why Jesus asks us to come boldly. Come boldly. Come boldly, but God, I've made so many mistakes. Even since I've known the truth, I've made mistakes. Come boldly unto me. You see, the key to the Christian life, because a lot of us, when you hear me say that, are like, well, wait a minute, are you saying, Eric, we're not supposed to live right? We're not supposed to handle our resources well? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying your confidence isn't in your ability to do it well, though. Your confidence before God is in his ability to do it well. 
That's where you turn in faith every time the enemy starts whispering at you. He did it well. It's his merit. It's his perfect work. It's not mine. Now, what happens when you turn to that cross is the Holy Spirit enters into you, and he begins to convict you. He begins to challenge you, and he says, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. No, that's not the way it works. However, your confidence in coming before God, your Father, to seek the mercies that you need only flows from that faith in Jesus Christ. Am I really supposed to do this cheerfully? I mean, come on. To be happy and cheerful in this? That's impossible. God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, there it is. He says it just bluntly. God loves a cheerful giver? You know the word for cheerful? Hilaros. Does that sound familiar to you? You know what that actually means? It actually means what you think it means. That's where, you know, I'm going to get to that in just a second. It does mean cheerful. It does mean joyous. But it also means prompt and instant in doing something, merrily setting out to do hard things. Now, that isn't the way most of us work. God loves a hilaros giver, one who, even though it sounds ridiculous, will do it. And they will do it merrily with a skip and a whistle. don't, Don't they know what they're doing? Don't they know how stupid that is? Don't you know how big my God is? God loves a hilaros giver. So there it is. God loves a hilaros giver. That's actually the text of Scripture. It's actually more closer to the original text than you've ever seen, and that's what it says. God loves a hilaros giver. Hilarious. Yes, its root is the Greek hilaros. Isn't that amazing that God loves a hilarious giver? (laughs) And hilarious, by the way, just in case you don't know what it means, exceedingly amusing, very funny. (laughs) This isn't a very funny topic to most of us. (laughs) This is dead serious. And God says, boy, you're missing out on all the fun of Christianity. The cheerful, yes, Lord. Because some of us are saying, yes, Lord, but we're dour. If you study the soul or our our facial expression in our soul, it's miserable. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The cheerful, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, yeah. There's a big difference between the two of those. Which one does God love? He loves the Hilaros version. The please let me do that for you, Lord. Hey, hey, don't ask them. Please, over here, I'm a hilaros giver. I want more opportunities because the more opportunities of need you give me, the more opportunities of seeing your bountiful provision I will find. (laughs) We're like, what an idiot. It's a Christian. I recognize that as Americans, we are not like this. And I have a hunch that any culture you study throughout all of history, you will find that none of us pop out of the womb this way. There's a way that seems right unto man, and it leads to death. There's a way that seems right to man, and I can guarantee you it's not the Hilaros way. The Hilaros way comes from heaven, and yet it's very real. What really is Christianity? Christianity is doing the Hilarios, I'm sorry, doing the Hilarious with Hilaros. Or let me say it this way. It's doing the exceedingly amusing thing with cheerfulness. It's doing that which is 
completely ridiculous. Can you believe the guy's doing that? And doing it with cheerfulness. Yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. We're Christians. The Spirit of God is leading us. We do it. The two attributes of Hilaros. There's an amazing attitude, and it's called cheerfulness, but there's another dimension to Hilaros that I read, and that's instant inaction. You don't belabor the point. A cheerful giver, Hilaros giver, does it with a great attitude, and they do it instantly. Oh, pinned down on two points. Most of us, maybe we do it, don't get us wrong, but we have a bad attitude, and it takes us two months. That's not Hilaros giving. I'm just as guilty as anyone. I hesitate to be Hilaros too. I mean, come on. I know what it says in Scripture, God, but that is, that, I I don't find it in my pockets. So here's a quote from C.T. Studd. In peace, true soldiers are captive lions, fretting in their cages. War gives them their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is the soldier's vital breath. Peace turns them into a stooping asthmatic. War makes them a whole man again and gives them the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. It's the picture of a lion pacing in his cage, saying, I want out. Could you imagine if this is the way you were with your resources? You were pacing in your cage waiting for the Spirit to give you opportunity to give, to serve, to truly live. Springing from the cage, we'll call it the instant, the ready, the immediate, the well-oiled, obeying without pause, without delay, without further weighing of the matter. Becoming the cheerfully generous, the giving, the given. Also known as the obedient with our time, our money, our, even our house, every facet of our life. You see, the concept of cheerful giving is also hospitality. It is sharing. It is giving that which we have. It's not just an offering plate. That is actually a very, very small dimension of this idea of generosity. Generosity is a giving of us, who we are unto the king of kings. And that pipeline isn't just resources, financial resources. It's grace. It's the substance we need to live, to thrive in every situation, to rejoice in suffering. Doing a quick pocket check, a pop quiz to measure our hilarios. I don't know how well you're doing through this message. Like if you're saying, yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, hilarios. That's me. You know, here's what I would say. I don't naturally agree with this message. I don't line up with this message. I would be the giver. I love to give to people my time, my energy. I even love to give them resources. But there are certain times when God is asking me to give things that go beyond just the old tenth type of a thing that are painful and difficult, and I will find myself digging in my heels and trying to justify and going, God, I don't think that was you talking to me. I'm not the quick and instant always with that cheerful joy. There can be a panic. There can be a fear. So a pop quiz to measure our hilarios. How about when God says go? What if God wanted me to go? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Go, go, go where? What are you saying about that? Go? Because there's some places, I I don't know. We need to talk about this first. Are you hilaros in your response? He said, go. Well, you want to find grace in your life? Say yes. What if he says give? What if God wanted me to give? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Repent. What What if God wanted me to repent? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Are you hilaros? Do you have the right attitude, the heavenly attitude, and you do it instantly? How about confess? Oh, that's a good one for all the Ellerslie students. We've loved that one, haven't we? 
What if God wanted me to confess? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Humble yourself. Oh, no, please, please, no, God. What if God wanted me to ask for help? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Say goodbye to all you hold dear, Eric. Oh, will I hilaros, be hilaros in my giving? Say goodbye to it all. Yes, Lord. What if, he wanted, what if God wanted me to leave it all behind? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? Die, Eric. Huh? What if God wanted me to lay down my life? Will I cheerfully give my ear to hear it? You see, something is wrong with us. We're not by nature an instant, ever-ready, immediate, well-oiled, cheerful giver. Check your pockets. Do you have it? You see, it's not in our possession. We don't actually, by nature, have hilaros. This ability to do that which is truly impossible is not in us naturally. But So the question is, do you have it in your own pockets? No. Do you have it? And that's how Christianity works. The answer is, yes, I do have it. How do you have it? I have it in Christ by faith. You see, when I turn unto Christ, he has it. Therefore, if I believe in Christ, what he has is available to me. Introducing Jesus, the ever-instant, ever-ready, ever-immediate, ever-well-oiled, cheerful giver. Introducing grace. For help in time of need, for the readiness to spring from the cage. You see, you will not spring from the cage. You will not let your resources go without a fight. We're just human, unless you have grace. And grace is what sort of oils the system. It causes that gate to open when it needs to open. And when the Spirit of God presses, the gate opens And we as a lion spring forth to say, yes, Lord. So instead of the Hoover salesman, you have the Hilaros salesman that comes to your house. See, most of you have a vacuum, just like you have a Christian life. And so the Hilaros salesman comes to your house and says, so how's your vacuuming working? He throws some dirt on the floor and says, yeah, bring out your vacuum. And you vacuum over it. And it's like, eh. And he, he sort of chuckles to himself and then gets out his Hoover vacuum and vacuums it up and says, any questions? I want to show you the Hilaros vacuum system. So presenting the Hilaros gold package, the free upgrade to the Hilaros life of the Christian. You see, you have the Hilaros life. It was a gift of grace. Jesus cheerfully gave it to you. If you turn to him, you have it. You have the Hilaros life, but do you have the gold package? See, are you walking in the cheerful giving? I've never heard of the cheerful giving. It's sort of like those people that said, Uh, Are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we have John's baptism, but what are you talking about? You see, you know about the Hilaros giving of Jesus, but did you know that he has given you that very Hilaros so that you could be Hilaros? Did you know that? Oh, we got a free upgrade for you. It's just sort of sitting there. It's just plug and play. Directions. Simply plug this package into your existing Hilaros Life Council and enjoy the rich benefits afforded the lifetime members of the Hilaros family of saints. That's us. Are you saying I just need to plug this in? That's what I'm saying. So what's in the gold package, you ask? Because I heard you asking. This bundle contains all you will ever need for the adventure of life. It includes the following. The Hilaro skip and whistle engine. Unlike other skip and whistles that stumble and go dry the moment difficulty arises, this baby stays moist and active even when the guillotine blade is dropping. It's guaranteed to endure through the moments that make grown men cry. You don't picture most people skipping up to the guillotine and whistling, giving their life cheerfully. And yet, you have it. It's a plug-in package. Number two, the Hilaro Song in the Night audio plug-in. 
This puppy can be sung literally anywhere. It's specially designed for concentration camps, prison cells, and while bleeding on crosses. Basically, the song is designed to get louder and stronger as the difficulty increases. Makes even the worst singers, the worst singers, sound like an angel chorus. Number three, the Hilaros Laugh Out Loud Fountain Pump. This hearty chuckle is one of the most utilized tools in the gold package. It is built to be left on always. It never runs out of battery. It is constant. You can leave it running like a refrigerator. It is built to be left on always. In every situation, in and amidst every challenge, you can push the laugh button, and this amazing instrument will actually tickle the belly, stir the inner man, and remind the soul of the victory of the cross. The more you push the laugh button, the more you laugh. Use it at your discretion. It functions sort of like a geyser. The motor, motor on this laugh-out-loud pump sinks to the bottom of the stomach, right into that empty place created by the tragedy, the difficulty, or the trial. And from there shoots pure, unadulterated joy upward into the whole chest cavity and ultimately out through the mouth. Disclaimer, this pure joy usually comes out as laughter, but the consumer should note that this pure joy has been known to emerge from the body in other unique and delightful forms as well, i.e. dancing, crying, shouting, hugging, high-fiving, and the like. Number four, the, Hilar the Hilaros Leap for Joy trampoline. Now, this is hard to describe. We call it a trampoline in the Hilaros business, but we actually don't know what else to describe it as because it's like it's invisible and it's underneath us. And so if you ever need to get airborne, it's there to push you up, okay? I, again, it's hard to explain a trampoline that goes with you everywhere you go. That's what this is. This springy trampoline-like substance is designed to go wherever your feet may carry you. It travels as an invisible, ever-ready-to-spring-upward force beneath the feet of the Christian, made of a supernatural substance that is built to bounce back when pressed against. It is made to never lose its spring, even amidst the most bitter cold, the harshest trials, and the hottest fires. It specializes in times of pressure and is uniquely designed to convert downward pressure into upward push. The bigger the weight, the greater the pressure downward, the higher it sends the Christian upward. To maximize the ability of this heavenly trampoline, the Christian must move in agreement with the upward push of the trampoline. He or she must let her feet go airborne when the upward push comes. If this is done in concert with the upward force of the trampoline, then boing, those beautiful Christian feet will spring upward with vigorous and joy-infused force. I cannot imagine that any of you would not accept this free upgrade. Don't look to your own pockets and say, oh, I have enough. I, the Hilaros gift of Jesus on the cross is plenty for me you need the plug-in package. It's a free upgrade to your life. It comes with the cross. Why in the world wouldn't you utilize it? Church, let's let the hilarity flow. God loves a hilaros giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. A little practice might help. So what if we were to put this into practice immediately? And each day this week, I'm not saying you need to give 100 bucks away each day this week, but that you practice Hilaros giving each day this week as a deliberate choice. Now, I'm going to give you a list of some options because some of you have like zero money. So even if you gave a penny away each day this week, you'd run out by Wednesday. <laughs> so one of your options is to cheerfully give away something of value. That's one of your options. In fact, I highly recommend it because it gets harder. It's, it's a hard one, and it could be money, but that could be something else. Cheerfully give away time. Cheerfully give away energy. I want to emphasize the word cheerfully. Cheerfully give away encouragement. Cheerfully give away thankfulness. Cheerfully give away the gospel. You see, what I just described to you is how a Christian is supposed to live every week. But what if we took this week as our 
practice ground. And we sort of just got used to the movement, opening up the spigot all the way and letting the grace come out of us so that we can receive more of the bounty from heaven. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.